then I know not everyone, you don't have that when you first start pricing your work. So that's when it's very difficult. But I will say that when I first started pricing my work, I didn't really know what to price it at. So I kind of just like, what I did was, um, I was pricing it for that first show that I mentioned in California. Mm-hmm. And um, the gallery owner, his name is Nick Wilkinson. He's great. You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it! What up, Gangstars? It's your girl, Nirvana. Happy Monday. Hope you're having a wonderful day so far. I know this past couple weeks have been pretty crazy um, and emotionally draining, uh, mentally draining for some, but with everything going on, um, I'd like to say that I love the strength that our nation has shown by coming together in these peaceful protests and I see a lot of positive change happening and I'm super excited about it and I'm so happy to see so many of you gang stars and a lot of other people who have used their platforms to share their voice and make a stance. So just wanted to put that out there. Hopefully this episode this week inspires you, empowers you, enlightens your mood um, to take action and be a gangstar this week. So now what you've been waiting for is our gangstar creative this week is Dan Lamb, and she is an amazing artist, sculptor from Dallas, Texas, and she's known for her bold and unique sculptures, and when I say bold and unique, like, you really have to go check out her work on Instagram. It's hard to just describe. You just have to look at it, and they're just super cool and colorful and very unique. Um, She rose to popularity and prominence through social media, particularly Instagram, and her body of work ranges from gallery exhibitions to large-scale installations to brand collaborations. She exhibits in the U.S. and internationally and has upcoming shows in Portland, Oregon, and San Francisco, California. Some of her gangstar accomplishments include having a full feature in Juxtapose magazine, having a pop-up large-scale installation at the ICA Boston, having a permanent public sculpture at Industry City in Brooklyn, New York, and being a Facebook artist in residence. Dan's going to be sharing some awesome things in this interview, so let's get to it. All right, gang stars, I'm super excited to have Dan on the podcast with me today. Girl, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in and share your journey and story with the Gangstar Creative listeners. If you could just first tell them a little bit about yourself, who is Dan, and take them on a journey of where you started and where you are today. Um, So I am an artist full-time. I am uh, mostly known for my sculptures. Um, I've been doing this professionally since 2016. I went to school for art and I got my bachelor's and my master's and um, yeah it's kind of been like a a long journey in academia and then the past few years of you know diving into the art world. I love that. Um, Was your did you go to school for like sculpture or did you have a certain um, a different like creative niche and talent that you specifically studied um, when you went to school? I went to school for drawing and painting, actually. So I think schools are probably a little bit more um, open now with their programming. But when I went to school, it 
you know, you could focus on specific areas within the fine arts. So I went for painting and drawing for my mm -hmm. bachelor's and then my master's is also in the same subject. Um, but I make sculptures now. So, you know, it's not very, <laughs> it's not necessarily limiting, you know, if you focus on a certain area within art school, but um, yeah, it's kind of, it's been an interesting journey getting here. How did you make that transition into doing the sculptures that you do? I actually started experimenting with a lot of different materials while I was in school and mm. it was a lot about the early days was a lot for me about like what constitutes painting you know what what makes a painting a painting what makes a drawing do they have to be limited by their materials and so mm. I kind of started like this long line of thinking that um, has led me to where I am now but I I pretty much flirted with sculpture all throughout school and I made very sculptural oh, cool. works, like very textured, very 3D, um, but I never fully considered myself a sculptor until after school. Yeah. Was that, um, was there like a certain specific project um, or piece that made you kind of like discover your specific type of work and style? All the listeners listening, like she has, she creates these really cool sculptures or like blobs and drips and you just kind of have to see it to like understand it and appreciate it they're so cool and fun um and it's so unique and different i haven't really seen anything like that really um so i'm just interested like how did you even discover that type of work and style in your sculptures i think you know it wasn't like now that i've had some time to look back on it you know i have mm -hmm. years now of of process and development and i think you it's really about how i developed my my own voice throughout mm. my schooling so it wasn't like a like an aha moment of like i i came up with this aesthetic you know it was like i played with something and then i i learned about it like something being like a material um i learned more about it and then i was like oh i can do this with it you know the the possibilities opened up once you learn um about something more. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like a, a culmination of all those things. Like I learn about one material and I learn about another material. And then like I start connecting the dots. And, mm. and so through that process, I think that it's really, it's really easy to, and I mean, easy might not be the best word, but it's very <laughs> natural to kind of develop your voice in a strong way when you find things that are, you did when you dig deeper and deeper into something that interests mm -hmm. you and you you take what you take out of it and then you develop your thing so i think you know it's been a long time of like figuring things out and then putting things together and when people say my work is very unique i think that's what i attribute a lot of it to is that um you know i'm not using a lot of traditional materials and mm -hmm. even within that i'm like diving deeper and combining various materials and putting things together that maybe people don't immediately put together. And I think that's how, like, I've gotten to where I'm at, you know, with, with the, yeah. the look of my work and, um, yeah. I love that. It's so, it's more of like the consistent, like experimenting and learning and studying, you know, the different things that you were essentially playing with and crafting with and taking what you learned from each piece and kind of expanding on that and growing from that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. I do have to ask, are they all, 
all squishy. So I've seen like, I've, you know, stalked your Instagram and your TikTok and stuff. And I've seen the ones where you like, you squish them. Some of them look like they're like a plastic, <laughs> like, are they all squishy? And what materials do you use? Like, what are your pieces actually made of? So they are not all squishy. That's something that I like to kind of play with. Um, through, you know, social media, because my work is very tactile. And when people see it in person, the first thing they do or want to do or ask is, can I touch it? And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the time that I've been, you know, posting on social media, it's kind of like this fun, playful, like aspect to it is that my work is so tactile, but you know, you're viewing it through the screen and you can't touch it. So I post videos occasionally of like me squishing a piece and, you know, and then sometimes like I'll post a video where the piece looks like it's hard. And so I kind of keep the audience guessing as to like how it actually feels mm -hmm. because, you know, you're looking through a screen, but also if you do look, see my work in person, like it's an art object, so you're not supposed to touch it anyway. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of like kind of dialogue and like play there between like, the, the object in the audience. Um, but as far as what materials I use, I use a lot of different kinds of things. Um, you know, when you see one of my pieces, there's a lot of different layers of material uh, that, that I've put together to make the piece. And um, I would say primarily the, the main material I use is polyurethane foam, resin, and paint. Hmm, it's really cool. Do you, um what I, I mean, from watching your videos, it's a, it seems like it's a lot of layering of different um, materials and paints and um, resin and things like that. I would assume that in your studio, is it just like constantly having a big mess of like stuff all over the floor? Because all I see in your videos are just like, just dripping and dripping and drips of stuff. So I'm just curious to know what, how you're able to create those things in your studio and like is there like a bunch of um, drips on the floor from all the creations that you've created? I, you know, I'm able to keep my studio fairly organized because it does get very chaotic with my materials. So there's yeah. kind of like this balance I've struck. Um, as far as the mess, it's, it's able to be contained. Every studio I'm in, I always uh, lay down plastic sheeting on the floors. Mm -hmm. And so if there's a spill or anything like that, it's, you know, I can contain it and like clean it up. Um, mm -hmm. But I have designated surfaces that I work on for each kind of stage of the material. So if I'm working on polyurethane uh -huh. foam, it's like, it's it, I have a, sec a section of my studio that's meant for that. And then I, if I'm working with paint or resin, you know, I have a designated spot, table or floor for, for working with those things. Oh, that's cool. Because I feel like if it were me, because I'm kind of like, I like to, I'm like organized chaos and I, I like mm -hmm. mess, but don't like mess too at the same time. And I feel like if it were me, I would just like to see how much of like the gook could pile up and like what that would turn out to be. That would be like an art piece in itself or a sculpture in itself. So that's kind of like what I picture whenever I would see you pouring like the colors or the resin on top of your sculptures. <laughs> Definitely, there are really interesting things that happen in the cast off materials like it, I have definitely played with the idea of have including those in shows or, you know, showing them as like process pieces, but mm -hmm. it's kind of a weird thing like I, I don't know it's it's like I don't know I still haven't really decided where I'm at with that but it is it there like, people who come to my studio get to experience it and they get to see that kind of like the secret behind the scenes you know, <laughs> of, 
of what they of what the pieces the excess of the pieces look like yeah for sure so how long does it take for you to create one of your pieces do you just create or do you have some sort of planning process prior to um i don't really keep track of time when it comes to making my work i don't really mm -hmm. you know i'm not like one of those um not to like not that there's anything wrong with it but it's very hard to me to for me to quantify the amount of time it takes to work on something because a lot of my materials take a good amount of curing and drying time and so i work on multiple pieces at a time and you know so like while one thing is curing it takes a day and so while that thing is curing i'll be working on something else um mm -hmm. so it's kind of like you know it's, it's hard to put it into hours of like oh this piece took like 40 hours to make or whatever um, right. But I, because of that, I am able to produce a lot of work because I am working on multiple things at a time. Hmm, that's cool. And do you have a specific process or do you kind of like, do you just go off of what you're feeling and you start with something and see what it turns into? Or do you ever like sketch out anything prior to? Um, the materials I work with don't really allow me to necessarily sketch out anything. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't really sketch like a piece that I'm going to make unless it's like, oh, do you have a proposal for, you know, right. like a project, like I'll, I'll, I'll sketch for that. Or, um, you know, if I, if a new idea comes and I, I don't want to forget it, I'll do like a quick sketch of like the general idea, but the materials are very, I'm attracted to the materials I'm attracted to because there's this, this sense of, um, like the material does its own thing. It has, it has its own properties uh, mm -hmm. where like, for example, the polyurethane foam is a two part liquid that you mix together and it expands and there's different mm -hmm. rates of expansion. There's different densities. There's different, um, you know, there's just all these different uh, things that the foam can do. And so when you're working with something like that, that kind of, you can control it, but you can't control what it does after you've mixed it. You can't control how, you know, like how, right. like where, where it goes or whatever. So there you can't, it's really, it would be very frustrating. I think process wise, if I was to sit down <laughs> and draw a very specific drawing of something I wanted mm -hmm. and then tried to create that with the materials I do, because I think if that was my process, I would just be sculpting out of clay, you know, or something more traditional. Right. Um, that's the beauty of the, the material and then which also contributes to the beauty of the work overall is that every piece is unique. Every, there's no two pieces that are alike, you know, mm -hmm. all the different variations and stuff like that's the, it's the fun part. It's the unexpected. It's like, that's what keeps me interested in, in working with those materials. I love that. It's like every time you go in the studio and you start to create something, it's just like a surprise and then you never really know how it's going to turn out, but all your pieces end up turning out beautiful because of all the colors and the textures and stuff you use on it. So it's really cool. Thank you. I mean, you know, I, I feel like, th and that's, that's the thing about it too, is that you, it, it, it is unpredictable, but the more you work with something, you know, um, mm -hmm. the more you can kind of, you understand it and you get it and you can kind of start to like guide it. Yeah, exactly. You, you dictate like how much of something is poured or, um, mm -hmm. you know, how long a drip is or whatever, stuff like that. It, so it, it becomes like this fun balance of like control versus letting go. I love that. You've obviously um, built a successful career as an artist, um, more, more in a traditional sense, it seems like, like being able to show your sculptures and 
galleries, museums, having installations, having it having outside installations um, and I would love to dive deeper into that but I'm curious to know one are, I'm assuming now you're working full-time as an artist are you working full-time as an artist I guess is the question cool and then what were you doing prior to like was art were you always being a full-time artist did you like work like a day job or just part-time jobs while you were trying to figure this out um, what was like the journey like getting to become uh, a full-time artist so I, um, out of high school, I went straight into college and I got my bachelor's. And then after my bachelor's, I took about like six months off or like a half, like a semester off. And then I went into my um, master's. So it's, it was school for a very long time. And I graduated in 2014. And then um, I moved to this really small town in Midland, Texas, um, mm. where my boyfriend was is from and um, was working at the time. And so we kind of used that, that move as like a transition period, you know, like where, where do we go after this? And so we just kind of like stayed there for a little bit. And while I was there, I was there for about a year, maybe a year and a half. I um, started to kind of refocus my, my efforts as far as like, what I wanted to do with my work, you know, changing from a large studio to a small studio, going from like a city to a small town, there's all these changes, especially mm -hmm. like culturally and coming from like, you know, a school setting where you're surrounded by ideas and like all these things, you know, this like energy, um, going from that to like not having that was a very, like very different kind of change. And so I took that time, I was in the small town to kind of focus on my work and um, that's when I got on social media and started posting a lot more and like you know just like trying to connect with a, another kind of art community and so while that was going on I was also um, teaching at the community college there and so that's kind of what my game plan when I was like younger was like okay I'm gonna go to school I'm gonna get my master's and when I get my master's I can teach at the college level and that'll be like my main gig while I just <laughs> make work and you know try to show and you know so that's kind of like yeah. I think that's a pretty normal path for a lot of artists realistically um, even though getting your degrees are like, it's very expensive, you know, it's still kind of like, mm -hmm. how do I get job security uh, right. with this really kind of risky career? And um, so that's, that's that year I spent, you know, focusing on my work, also teaching at, at, at the community college. Um, that was a really like important time for me, I think. And, but uh, even though I was like in this like kind of culturally dry place, it really, allowed me to you know grow on Instagram and that's that's kind of how like my career took off was through social media and so after Midland uh, we moved to Dallas and um, in Dallas when I first got here you know I was like of course like worrying and stressing like how am I going to make money what am I going to do trying to find like adjunct teaching opportunities and I found right. this, <laughs> I found this like a uh, really it was an interesting idea and concept. It was like a, an after school program for kids teaching them engineering like concepts through things like Legos. And I was like, okay, whatever, it's flexible. You know, it'll give me time to create my work. And like, if I need to take time off for shows, I can. So I needed something with like flexibility and I took it on and I hated it. I did not like it, <laughs> like working with kids. Oh my gosh, <laughs> um, <hilarious. laughs> 
it was a lot. It was a lot for me. Yeah. And so I, um, I was there for like a couple months, maybe three months. And then I butted heads with the manager and then I quit. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then at that time, I just so happened to have a, a show, like one of my first group shows in California. And so I flew out and I was like, you know what? It's fine. Like I just quit this job, but I'm going to go focus on the show and see what I sell. And if I do well, then maybe that'll give me a cushion for like the next few months and I won't have to immediately look for another job. Right. So, and that's what ended up happening. I sold really well at the show and I was like feeling really good about it. I was like, you know, like this awesome. might be, you know, this is like realistic kind of maybe, you know, I was getting hopeful about it. And so when I came back to Dallas after the show, you know, I was kind of like, figuring things out and and it kind of that's just kind of how it happened it just like it just kept going like that I just kept selling work and I kept getting shows and then you know kept selling more work and then I never had to find like another day job and wow. it, it was like kind of amazing yeah I was like so excited and it's scary but it was definitely worth it I'm glad I quit that job and I'm glad <laughs> you know I took the risk and <laughs> yeah that's so awesome. It was definitely seems like a blessing in disguise. It was the right time, the right moment. Those things were supposed to happen. As stressful as it probably and frustrating it was, like dealing with that job and then having to prep for the show and then to have like the show be a, like a success, you know, and kind of catapult mm -hmm. the next steps in your journey as an uh, as an artist. That's really that's really awesome. Yeah. Um. You know. Yeah. I just. It, it just, it's not definitely not how I expected things to go. You can't predict that kind of stuff, you know? Um, yeah. And, I, and I'm someone who very much like, likes the security of like, like I like a regular paycheck. I like, it's, <laughs> I mean, who, who doesn't, right? It's doesn't, like, right? <laughs> that's a very risky move. And I think, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it blows me away. Like thinking back on it, that that's just kind of how it unraveled for me. That's so awesome. So it's kind of switching gears a little bit and going into um, how you get your work seen, like into galleries, for example, or to museums. What is that process like? So is this all, do you like have a manager or agent that works with you to get your art in these places? Or um, do you, was it like that not at first and it is now? Do you have to um, do the work to reach out to these galleries and museums or do they only reach out to you and you just have, you know, people reaching out to you and it's worked out that way? Like, what is that process like to get your work into galleries and museums? So for me, you know, I, I feel like having spoken to a lot of other artists, everyone's journey is very different. And that's kind right. of like the thing about the art world is that it's so, it's so unregulated, you know, like <laughs> you go to school, you get your degrees and that's yeah. kind of like the most common thread that most artists have. If, if they, if they go to school, if they don't like, you know, then they have an even more different journey, but like, there's no, there's no one kind of like set career path to like, like, you know, like if you, if you in a corp, if you're in a corporate environment, you know, you have like the next levels you're trying to get promoted to. And so, you know, right. the kind of steps you need to take versus the art world is like, it's kind of just like a free for all. Like you, yeah. <laughs> it's very scary. Especially today's age. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. And you know, when I was going through all the stuff, I was even thinking like, 
like some of the some of the things that were coming my way, like some of the opportunities, which I'll get into. Um, you know, I, I remember being kind of overwhelmed like a couple times and wondering oh, like wow. who do I even talk? Like who do I even get in touch with to talk about these kinds of things, like these kinds mm -hmm. of new things that are coming my way that I've never read about in any academic book, uh, you know, in the the the, the um, all of my professors, like they didn't go through this this kind of process <laughs> with with you know social media and galleries yeah. and like just very different. So I for me, my own personal, you know, journey for this has been, I think, fairly unique in terms of how my opportunities have come to me. I when I mentioned, you know, that year I started posting a lot on Instagram and just sort of like building a, a art community to connect with. Um, that was a really pivotal time, I think, for my work, because I think, you know, I got on Instagram at the right time and mm -hmm. my work, you know, like you mentioned earlier, it has very unique qualities to it. And I think that really spoke to a lot of people. And so that's kind of really where it, a lot of it came from was that like the art world, artists, everybody was like, oh, Instagram's this great visual like app, you know, that we can mm -hmm. all share our work and connect with each other on and see new work, see what people are doing, see the trends, you know, see all the stuff. And so getting on there was really important. And then from there, so many people like reshared my work that I had my first shows and opportunities through um, people seeing my work on social media. Wow. And yeah, you know, and, and, it, and it was very organic. Like I didn't, I didn't like, I, I didn't like shop my portfolio or anything like that around to galleries. I didn't have a manager or anything like that. You know, it's just very like people saw my work and they liked it. And then they would reach out to me and be like, Hey, I have the space. I would love for you to do a show or, Hey, I have a group show I'm putting together. Would you like to be a part of it? Or collectors who are like, Hey, I really like your work. Can I buy it? Which mm -hmm. is different. You know, that's a different aspect to the, the art world now too, is that like it used to be, you had to go through a gallery to, you know, get in touch with an artist and, and then you, you know, work with the gallery as like a middleman. Mm -hmm. And now it's kind of like, just, you can go directly to the artist and find, you know, the work you like and do all the things just like person to person. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's, that's for me, that's how it happened is social media. And then like, you know, opportunities, connecting with real people, getting into shows. And then from there, that's just kind of led to where I'm at now. Like, um, I, I've, I've found the galleries that I really like to work with, the people I really like to work with. And then, um, you know, I've had, I've had like agents, like, or agencies who do like more commercial art stuff, reach out to me with opportunities. Right. So it's really, I'm not like exclusive with any one manager or person or group or anything like that. Um, I'm still just like me, the individual artist. And then I have uh, I'll have like, you know, companies reach out and be like, Hey, we really, you know, we're doing this large project and we want you to be a part of it. So very much the same as like how it's, you know, how it was in the early days of like people just wanting my work in a show or, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's been very like, like amazingly organic. I think, I yeah. think that, um, you know, a lot of times, cause I get a lot, I talk to a lot of other artists and like a lot of times, like they will have someone who kind of like, the, the more commercial artists, they will have like a manager or an agent who connects them with these opportunities. Um, right. Or, you know, they work more with galleries who then gets their name out there more so, you know, and then they like kind of work through that way. Um, 
but for me, it's just really been, I really think it's been social media. And then from there connecting and, and like making real world connections with people and then, and then more opportunities coming from that, you know? So I think now that I've shown my work in a lot of different places, people have seen my work in person. And so from there, more opportunities have come. Um, and then some of these larger outdoor projects that you mentioned earlier, like that's also sparked like a big thing for me. Like, you know, now that I have some of these large sculptures out in the world, people can see them and they can imagine like, oh, hey, that looks great there. You know, um, we're building a new development. Maybe a Danland sculpture can go in the courtyard, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. It's really cool you sh you kind of sharing that. And like I had mentioned, like prior to us even recording, it's just like every creative has such a different journey. And I think there's so much power in sharing, you know, your journey because anybody listening can take the tits and pieces of that and apply that to their journey to help them get to where they want to be too. And I think it's really cool that even though you've had success in like the more traditional um opportunities but you've also been able to just still control yourself as a brand and as an artist um and you're, you can have all different types of opportunities whether it's commercial whether it's like the traditional or whether it's just like through a one-on-one -on -one collector or just like social media like anything it's, it's really cool that you're able to still kind of have that ownership in that and that's really um, inspiring and empowering to hear that Hey Gangstar, sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this episode so far, stop what you're doing right now and share this podcast with your friends on social media or text it to a friend in your contacts. If you're a true Gangstar and want to uplift and empower other creatives like I know you do, you're going to want to take a few seconds to do this now. Go ahead and pick your phone back up or click that browser tab that you're playing this episode in, hit that pause button and share it now. Hello, what are you waiting for? All right. Thank you for doing that. Now let's get back to the show. Oh yeah. I, I, it's really, I mean, I think it's an amazing time right now to be an artist because there's so, you have so much more power. Um, you know, I, I, what, that's the thing is like, I, so like I mentioned, I can't, I come from like academics, like that's kind of my background. Yeah. Art. Like I didn't do, you know, I didn't do street art or anything like that. Like I went to school for art. And so in art school, like there's kind of like, you know, it's like you're taught certain things and <laughs> sometimes like, you know, it's kind of limiting. I think the things you're taught, like, Oh, this is, yeah. this is the path you take. Like you, you know, you make your work and then you like struggle for a long time and then you hope you find a good <laughs> gallery, you know? And it's, it's, it's really, I, I just, I think that there's just so many, so much more there now. Um, and there's the potential and possibilities for more people to become professional full-time artists is very real. I think there's such a big push in all the industries for creativity and for unique and different things. And for, you know, artists like creatives think outside of the box. And I think as a whole, as like a society where we have reached like a point where we're getting kind of bored with like the status quo, you know? And so yeah. it's the creatives who like shake things up and change things. And um, I think there's just a lot more open-mindedness now towards that kind of stuff. And it's really amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, what was it like to have a pop-up, like, large-scale installation at the ICA in Boston? Oh, my God. Was that, like, <laughs> a dream come true, I can imagine? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, that, that project came my way through um, a... Uh, 
he's a friend, but he, I also had worked with him on a, like a, on a few projects, um, through his gallery and through his like own consulting, art consulting. Um, mm. but the, yeah, like we had worked together on like a couple smaller projects and then this big project came his way and he was like, you know, he reached out to me and he was like, Dan, I think you're, you would be great for this. You know, your work is like interactive and like, you know, tactile and all these things and people really like to see it. So let's think about doing something big. And, um, it was, it was actually that project had a lot of different, it was the first time I'd done something that big. So it was really exciting and definitely a learning experience for me. But, um, I was working with, so uh, I was working with like a, a very big team in terms of like um, production. So mm. the project was sponsored by Steve's Ice Cream, um, which is like a Boston-based ice cream company. And mm -hmm. they're like really like super cool and they're very like relaxed about letting me have my vision. Mm -hmm. um, which was awesome. But, and so then within that, you know, there were two other companies, there's a production company and advertising or a creative agency and a production agency. I still don't know all the different <laughs> moving parts, <laughs> but um, it was just really a lot of, a lot of people came together to make this happen. And um, mm. yeah, originally it was supposed to be like, a, we were going to do like a pop-up at different music festivals, like Lollapalooza oh, wow. and like a couple other or Bonnaroo or something like that. We were going to do like a, a pop-up at, at like a few festivals on the East coast. And then, then it changed. And then, and then we found out like, Oh, the ICA Boston is interested. And um, then it became that. And so the project kind of shifted. And then like the things I was designing shifted to, to cater more towards like, you know, the space that the ICA was providing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely a dream come true. I couldn't, like, I just, I couldn't believe that, like, my sculptures were, getting, <laughs> like, like, for real, sitting on the steps of the ICA Boston, and it yeah. wasn't like, a shocked image, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, now that you, you shed light on, like, all the different teams that were there to help you, like, make this happen, how long is the process for something like this to happen? Is it, like, okay, the ICA wants this to, you know, kind of like launch or release on this date. So we have X amount of time and it's just like a bunch of meetings and everybody working together and like sharing their ideas and you kind of like creating, like, what is that process like to even make that happen? Something of that scale. It was definitely, I, I actually feel like a lot happened in a short amount of time. Um, we <laughs> had, I want to say it was like, the project, the pop-up happened over the summer and I want to say we started on it like early that year. Um, and it was definitely a lot of meetings, you know, a lot of like, like back and forth, a lot of mm -hmm. uh, like ideas, even down to like, and then it would get down very specific to like colors and um, you know, like just little, little details like that. It, it was, it was definitely, it was a lot of email communication and like phone calls like conference mm -hmm. calls. Um, and I definitely flew out like a few times, you know, to like yeah. to with everyone in person to see the site. So it was really involved and like it, I, I really enjoyed it, but it definitely was like very different than how, you know, I'm it, like from me being in the studio and working by <laughs> myself and like, right. you know, I don't have to like answer like 10 emails just to get one idea through. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was definitely a, a, like eye-opening, you know, I, I mm -hmm. it, it was, 
eye-opening in the sense that like it takes so many different people and moving parts to make something like this happen and it definitely made me appreciate like all the other large-scale projects I've ever seen because you know you don't you don't really think about that stuff when you see the final product you're not like oh it must have been like you know 50 people who like put this together (laughs) um so you know that was like eye-opening but also like it was really cool working with the different teams because like they were so supportive of what I was doing and like my vision and they just were like so encouraging and it's just really like exciting for for me to know that like you know people who are working at like a creative agency that gears more towards advertising and stuff like that has such a big Mm -hmm. support for like the fine arts that they're like excited to be working with me because (laughs) you know like I make these cool weird sculptures and they're like oh it's you know this is this is so exciting for us because it's different than what we normally do yeah so you know, it's just like all around, like a really good learning experience. And I would definitely do it again. I'm actually hoping to uh, make a big drip happen on a building, hopefully. Oh, oh that would be so. sick. Oh, I just, yeah. I can see that too. Well, I hope that happens yeah. and I can't wait to see when and if that, that turns out. I'm curious to know, um, so like at a large scale installation like this, like this project, how does it work getting paid for something like that? And then also... Mm-hmm people ever buy like I always wondered like when I go into museums and galleries like do people buy installations that people put in museums and galleries like yours (laughs) or is it just more solely just for like enjoyment and then you just get paid for like the the idea of the the project so I you know it's very different as far as museums go I'm still not 100% sure but I I have some (laughs) educated guesses I can make um but for my project It was very much, um, we, they had a budget and then I get an artist fee, what they call an artist Mm. fee. And so the budget for making the whole thing happen is definitely greater than what I get paid, but I (laughs) am sure to get, you know, a good amount that I feel comfortable with. You know, I think this is, this, this should be for all artists, all creatives. Like you need to feel, um, that you're getting paid for like your idea, you know, for something that would not exist if it wasn't for you. And so I think a lot of times that's like, for me, I remember in the early days of even just like pricing my work, I was like, I don't know, you know, I have no idea. I don't know where to start. I make a lot of work. um, And I make, you know, I, I, I'm, I produce all the time. And so, you know, there's something about that too. Like when you feel like you have too much work and you're like, well, do I, do I price it at less? And all these Mm -hmm. things, all these like kind of insecurities and stuff like they, they come in when you think about like price and your work, which is already such a weird thing. But um, yeah. So for like these larger projects, like I usually, you know, it comes down to like a percentage of the budget is goes to the Mm -hmm. artist. And that's, that's how, you know, it, it goes. And if, if, you know, if you're not happy with it, I, there's definitely always room for negotiation, I think, unless mm-hmm. the company or the, the, whoever it is, is like, we have the set budget, this is what we can do. And this is what we can give you. And then you decide like, is this right or not for me? But, um, you know, I've definitely had projects where, uh, people have reached out to me and they're like, Hey, can you submit a proposal? And I submit the proposal and I kind of estimate like what the budget should be. And then I give them a number of what my artist fee should be. And I've like, never heard back from them so um <laughs> you know the, it it kind of it's it's like scary because sometimes like I think you want to you especially when you're starting out you know you're like I want to make money I want to like mm-hmm. be able to you know pay rent and then you know Do still more. continue to make work yeah, yeah. and so you don't want to like 
sometimes I remember in like the, the earlier days where I was like, oh, should I, should I charge them less because I really want this project? And I think, I think it's important to kind of like, you know, stay set in your price and know what you're worth and what you're comfortable with and all those things. And, um, like stick with it, even if you may not get some of the projects, because I think it eventually works itself out. Do you have a certain like method for pricing your work or sculptures? Is there like, you know, like, do you, I don't know, is there any sort of process that you have or ideology behind it that um, you use for pricing your sculptures? Because it's such a unique, um, like, niche and type of work that you do i'm curious to know like if there's a way that you do that um so i i think what has been very helpful for me is just having time over over time like over the course of a few years of like figuring it out i think that has been the most helpful thing then mm -hmm. i know not everyone you don't have that when you first start pricing your work so that's when it's very difficult but i will say that when i first started pricing my work I didn't really know what to price it at. So I kind of just like, what I did was, um, I was pricing it for that first show that I mentioned in California. Mm -hmm. And um, the gallery owner, his name is Nick Wilkinson. He's great. He's, he also has, he's also an artist. And so, you know, he can kind of speak to both sides of it. Mm -hmm. And um, the advice he gave me was, you know, let's, let's set the prices at what you're comfortable with. And he said that if most of your work sell at this price point, like let's say 75% of the work sells at this price point, that means you should probably go up. In your pricing right and that made sense to me you know because like you know uh it gives it gives you some kind of starting point so i i just picked some numbers and then the work sold really well and then i was like okay well i guess like maybe that's and now it's time to like up it up up uh, you know up it up a little bit and and that's kind of just how it kept going is that um you know every show i would do i would kind of like make sure and keep an eye out for like for like how much work is sell is selling and like at what price points they're selling at mm. and kind of just figuring it out from there like okay well maybe next time I do another show like these kinds of pieces will maybe be up like by 100 or 200 or whatever mm -hmm. and um normally for me I price by like you know material and size it, again i mentioned that i don't really keep track of time so it's you know that's another way you can do it it's just how much time you put into it and you could you could even if you're you know a little bit more traditional you could even break it down by hour like oh i think i should be getting paid x amount per hour and this piece right. took 40 hours so whatever right. um i've also had other artists uh, tell me that they've priced you know and they, they, they'll price like if they're doing like murals they'll do like by square foot uh, mm -hmm. you know they charge 25 dollars per square foot and then then they do the math for the size of the mural that they're you know being asked to do um mm -hmm. so there's a lot of different methods in pricing your work but i think um for me i i've gotten to a point where i'm happy at the price points i'm at and because i do so many different things like you know i have these large-scale sculptures i'm doing more commercial projects and then i do gallery shows i have a lot of different variety in um, how I can show my work. And so because of that, it allows me to kind of be more flexible with my price points sometimes. So mm -hmm. for example, um, you know, a lot of artists will do prints of their work. So that's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like if you do a painting and then people love it, you can do like addition of 50 prints of that, yeah. of that piece. Um, but for me, I don't, my work is not like that. And so I can't <laughs> really do, I can't really do prints or I can, but I, I've decided the same that experience <laughs> exactly like it's not the same so what I have started doing is I've done these miniature 
versions of my work. Mm-hmm. And um, I call, you know, I call them minis and I'll do, I've done like four releases of the minis. Yeah, I've done four total as of today. Um, I plan on doing another one this year, but what I, my aim when I make these things like miniature pieces is I can do like a release of 50 of them and they're all original works, but they're priced at something that's a little bit more affordable for like young collectors or someone who just really loves my work and wants a piece, but they can't afford like a larger piece. It's it's not the right time or whatever, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think having a lot of variety is very helpful in, in like, um, I don't know, pricing your work. And also like, if you're concerned about, you know, making more money or just having like a, a, a more secure source of income, like, I think those are really good ways to do it is that you, you provide something for people that's a little bit more affordable and within their price range, especially like for me, my, a lot of my audience are younger people, people who just love art and I appreciate that they love it. And I appreciate that they've reached out and they're looking and they're interested. And so I don't want to like, I really don't want to leave anyone out of, you know, being able to own my work. Um, and that's why I do the minis, you know, so stuff like that, like it's, it's just like a different, uh, just variety, different ways of like, reaching price points. Yeah. Um, did you, yeah. what, um, what price points did you start off with? And then people who are listening, like how much, how much do they have to invest to own a Dan Lamb piece now? So when I first, when I first sold, so like I mentioned, like I have a different, a lot of different types of work. So mm-hmm. uh, just speaking on the traditional drips for now, um, mm-hmm. The when I first made my drips and I had them in a show, I would say they were like, they were smaller, like maybe, I don't know, like the size of your, though not the size of your hand, like maybe like anywhere from six inches to like 12 inches, like in, in, okay. in width. And I had this price at probably like 600 to 800. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were like, I don't know, 2015 prices right <laughs> yeah. and um so now my sculptures pretty much start at a thousand and go up from there so like now the small the small ones are like smaller pieces are started at like a thousand sometimes I have a couple like eight hundred dollar sized ones but they usually start at a thousand go up from there and like you know then the largest ones they'll go up to like I don't know I had one that was 7500 um mm-hmm. That was a really big one that was for a gallery show. And that's not, this doesn't include like the pricing of like the, the larger projects. Like this is, that's a totally different system, I think. Um, But yeah. And so, and then my minis, my miniature sculptures, they run anywhere from 150 to 400 now. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, there's just a wide range of of pricing for people. And I think, um, I think for me, that's important. I just really, I really like one thing that I didn't like about art school, I think was that there's kind of like this, this kind of lot elite, elite. Um, it's like, it's a little exclusive. I feel like, you know, when it's like art is <laughs> art should be this and art should be that. And I feel yeah. like a lot of people out, you know? And mm-hmm. so because my work has done so well on social media, like what that says to me is like, people want to see work. They want to see interesting art. They want like to consume it and have it as part of their lives. And, you know, it speaks to them. And I think that's like so amazing that so many people 
um, are interested. And so like to, to exclude people out of that, I think it's kind of not cool, you know? So, yeah. um, I think it's important personally for me to be able to reach all, all the different people who are interested. No, I love that. And I love that you, you know, you do have something kind of for everybody. And even, you know, even at the 150 range or like the lower hundreds range could still be a lot for people, but it's still something that people can save up for and, you know, collect eventually if they really want that. And then mm -hmm. you have like the bigger pieces too. So thanks for sharing those numbers. Cause even some artists are like, they don't want to share those numbers, but I believe strongly believe that it's important for artists to share their numbers for people to kind of set the standard in our industry and even kind of know what's possible. Maybe people, somebody listening who does sculptures never even thought that that was charging 7,500 for a big sculpture was possible, you know, like little things like that. And I think there's so much power in those numbers that you did share. So thanks for, you know, being transparent in that. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I also feel like um, the, the, the other reason too is because you can just go and Google like my name and artwork and you'll, <laughs> you'll see pricing up there. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, yeah, I think, I agree. I think it is important to share. And especially with so many young people, like trying to figure out how to price their work and stuff or any, any mm -hmm. people trying to figure out pricing. It's always, it's difficult. And there's really like no one you can talk to about it. So I know. <laughs> I, I'm so lucky that I had, you know, that um, the gallerist, my friend Nick, who helped me kind of like with those first few um, pieces. And it, I was very lucky to have him like kind of guide me on that. And I, and I feel like, um, yeah, I'm happy to pass that information on. Yeah. How does one get a permanent public sculpture? Um, like the one you have in Brooklyn, New York, how did that happen? Like to have an actual one of your pieces, like as a permanent sculpture outside for people to see and enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that one, I, I am very happy with that piece. I love that piece. Um, I, that piece just happens like, uh, the curator. So a lot of times for projects like that, there's, there's different avenues you can go through, you know, there's, um, there's like public art that's like uh, nonprofit funded. So, mm. you know, a lot of times you can go onto websites like callforentry.org and you can search mm -hmm. opportunities and a lot of times cities or um, like departments within cities, like the, like the, I don't know, let's take, for example, like the parks and recreation uh, right. services has like, you know, they're doing like something and they have a budget and they want a public sculpture. So that's like, that's one way you can do it. And then the other way is like, private, you know, so a lot of times, um, for me, again, it's been that the curators have reached out to me and asked me like, Hey, we really like your work and we really, really want something here. And then I do a proposal for it. And then we kind of go back and forth on that. Um, so for the, the, for the Brooklyn one, um, that area, uh, that it's in is called industry city. And it's like this newish development that's happening on, on the, in that side of Brooklyn where they're taking mm -hmm. these old, um, like industrial buildings and they're making them into really cool like office spaces and workspaces for all different types of people and um, they're really trying to build like a sort of I don't I think it's like they really want to make it like a destination spot for like the weekends people can come out in the courtyards cool. I, I mean this was obviously pre-covid but yeah <laughs> um, you know <laughs> so 
you know, there's like, I forget how many buildings there are. There's like a ton of them, like maybe 13 buildings or something. And in between each building are these courtyards and each courtyard kind of has like a different theme. Like, you know, some have like areas for musicians to play and some have like, they get, they'll do like food trucks or whatever. And um, so one of the things they want to do is like, or are doing is bring in art, public art that people can come and just be a part of, view, you know, hang out with and see. And um, yeah, the curator from Industry City hit me up and was like, hey, I really, I love your work and we really want one of your large sculptures. This is our budget. Um, what do you think, what do you think we can make happen? And that's how it happened. That's so cool. Awesome, congrats on that, by the way. I've Thank always you. wondered, you're welcome. I always wondered like, for outdoor installations like who takes care of it is it the city's responsibility do they ever have you like in the contract like say that you can come like once a certain amount of time to come kind of clean it up or is it like once you create it and out there it is what it is if someone tags it or I don't know weather implementation type of stuff happens to it um what does that process look like so, so my, the piece that I have in Brooklyn uh, is on industry city property. So it's not, it's not public, like the city doesn't take care of it, but I think the mm. industry city people maintain it. I think they'll like, you know, like if, if it gets like dusty, maybe they'll like, I don't know, wash it down. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> gotcha. But, um, you know, I, uh, we actually, we actually did two iterations of that piece, meaning, mm. um, so the first time, the first time the piece was placed, it had a different finish on it. And we ended up not being happy, both me and the curator, we were not happy with the finish on the piece because it didn't look true to my work. And so um, we had to redo the finish. And so, uh, you know, within our contract, like it didn't cover anything like that. So we just kind of kind of had to rework like a few things and figure out like, okay, well, you know, now that we're gonna rework the outside of this piece, like, is there a budget for it? And then we just went from there. So, um, you know, it's, uh, a lot of times I feel like it's very flexible and very like, like the, like the people who are reaching out for artists to do this kind of stuff. Like, I feel like they're very, um, you know, open to what the artists like needs and, gotcha. um, there's like always a dialogue and it's never, I've never felt in any of the larger projects I've worked on, I've never felt like scared to be like, well, hey, like, I think this needs to be reworked and it might cost this much more or, you know, whatever. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, I saw that you said that you were one of the artists for like the Facebook artists in residence. Um, mm -hmm. Explain to the listeners what that is and um, also how has that experience been? Was it only like a certain amount of time or is that something like you're part of as a collective? Um, tell us more. Yeah, so Facebook was actually a really exciting project for me because it was one of the first big projects that I had uh, was was invited to work on um so they facebook does something called their artists in residence program and facebook has you know multiple headquarters throughout the world and um for each region of the world there is a curator uh, so somebody who finds artists finds art that they like or that might fit the aesthetic of what they're going for for their headquarters and then they reach out to these artists to become the artist in residence and basically what that means is um, you go and you work on site on 
on a, an installation. And residency programs vary a lot. So this is not like the kind of outline for a regular residency program, I think. Mm. Um, residency programs usually like, it, it varies from place to place, but a lot of times it's like uh, somewhere you know, like a nonprofit organization has a studio space and um, they want to invite an artist in and the artist can live and work there for a month or two months or six months or whatever, two weeks, whatever, um, and create something like something there or body of work, whatever, depending on the timeline. So right. it's, it varies a lot uh, depending on where, where you're looking. And sometimes residencies are paid for, meaning like you pay to go to them. And sometimes <laughs> residencies pay you. So it's a lot of different types of things um, going on out there. But the Facebook artists and residents, um, basically, they reached out to me, the curator reached out to me and was like, you know, we have this space that we're interested in putting your work in or having you do an installation in. Um, what what could that look like? And then, you know, you do some proposals and then they're like, okay, cool. Well, we have this budget. Um, you know, what can we work? Like, how can we make this work? Or are you happy with this number or whatever? And then uh, it, it goes from there. And then you kind of just go back and forth and everyone decides that they're happy with how the installation, the proposal looks and um, the pricing and all that stuff. And then you... You actually, I actually went out to Menlo Park, which is the, um, where Facebook headquarters is in California, and mm -hmm. I did an installation there. And then um, last year, so that was, I think, 2016, I did that for Menlo Park. I put in five large pieces that I made specifically for uh, Facebook. So I created them. Cool. Um, yeah, you know, we talked about like the sizing and stuff, and I made them some like really like large, nice pieces. And I, put, I installed them there. So my, my process was different because I just, I made the pieces here in Dallas at my studio. And then I went out and I installed them, which is kind of different than how a lot of the artists and residents will work because a lot of times they're doing murals or like very, mm -hmm. um, they're just like time intensive things inside the space. So it's kind of like, that's the residency is that you're li not living there, but you know, you're there for a while working right. on uh, your, your piece or your mural or whatever. Um, and then in 2019, last year, um, I had uh, someone from the Austin headquarters, a curator from four Austin headquarters, um, reach out to me and ask if I wanted to do another installation. And uh, of course, I was like, yeah, I would love to. <laughs> um, right? Especially with it being in Austin and, you know, I'm in Texas and it's nice to have something like a little more local. Um, right. But yeah, so then I did the same process. I did a proposal and they were like, we really like these works, you know, can you include something like this? And I kind of whipped up like, you know, some different iterations of what an installation could look like. And they were like, yes, this one went in, installed it, maybe it took like three days to do. Um, so Is yeah, that, that like sketched out? Is that like sketched out when you say like you whip up like the concepts, you know, in the proposal? Do you, is that sketched out or do you like mi do mini versions of them and then like blow it up? To, how I, do you show uh, them I, what you're going to do? I Photoshop. So oh, they okay. give me images of, you know, the space and then I kind of just like, uh, depending on, depending on what they're looking for, like in the Austin headquarters they were like oh we really like these specific pieces and so for me uh, it was easy for me to take images of those pieces because they already existed you know and to mm -hmm. photoshop them in um but for something like the first the first residency with facebook i did i didn't have those pieces made yet so i kind of did like a like a you know like a 
Photoshop sketch of potentially what uh, it would look like. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, where yeah. do you store all your work? I mean, your pieces are <laughs> all big. I mean, even like the pieces that were part of the installation, I don't know if they're still there or not, or like, where do you keep everything? <laughs> Um, so I, it's, storage is a huge problem. <laughs> it's, uh, it really is. Um, the large pieces from Boston are owned by Steve's ice cream. So they, they own those pieces. So cool. I don't have to store them. Um, and I think, I'm not sure exactly where they are now, but they're supposed to be, uh, put into their headquarters, which is actually here in Dallas. So, um, you know, hopefully I can visit that someday and see see what that looks like in a different space. But yeah. other than that, uh, a lot of my studio right now has a lot of like, you know, mid worked pieces, early stages of pieces, like failed experiments, all this stuff. <laughs> I'm actually about to get a new studio and uh, I will have a lot more storage for it, for my work. But um, a lot of times too, when I do gallery shows, the galleries will keep the work after the shows. And mm. um, you know, that way, like they can continue to sell the work and I can send people their way. Um, and it kind of, it helps alleviate a lot of the space for me, not, gotcha. not, you know, not getting work back. Yeah. Okay, cool. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I was like looking through your stuff. I was like, man, like, where does she keep all this, all these like huge pieces <laughs> alongside of everything and have space to work. So that's, that's really cool insight. Do you have anybody that yeah. like, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, like, the other thing about my work, too, that's difficult for storage is that you sometimes you see painters and they have these really nice organized, like, uh, painting slots that they'll, like, put away their, yeah, their paintings yeah. in. And it's, like, amazing and beautiful. And I'm so jealous because, <laughs> <laughs> because my work doesn't, doesn't fit <laughs> into things like that. <laughs> so they take a lot of space. And I usually, like, I usually just have to store them, like, on shelves and stuff. So it fill, things fill up really quickly. Is it, is it crazy to ship your pieces? I'm sure the smaller ones are probably obviously easier than like the big ones. Do you have like a special way that you ship your pieces? Um, so I have someone who packs my work for me. He's a professional art handler. So he, you know, he knows what he's doing and he knows like he's, and he's known my work for a very long time. So, um, he knows he has like a, a, a really great system for packing my work and things always arrive safely. The thing about my work is that I have very, the, the materials I use are very light. And so mm. a lot of times what happens is um, with a lot of art is if you, if you pack something, usually there's standards around like crating it, crating meaning yeah. like um, for, for people who don't, for the listeners who don't know specifically, the crating is like, you basically build a wooden box to protect the art piece inside. Right. And so for me, my work is so light that building a wooden crate for the work makes, makes it 10 times heavier and mm -hmm. then shipping costs go up and shipping is a whole, this whole thing, yeah. <laughs> very expensive. Um, you know, and so, uh, for my work, when I ship to shows, when I ship to clients, when I ship to, you know, whatever, all the different people, um, we just have a really great system with, with just using cardboard and we make it secure and, um, it keeps them light and it keeps the cost of shipping down and it cuts, it, it cuts the cost of creating down because creating also costs a lot of money. Um, yeah. So yeah, we just, we're just very careful with them, but I think that, 
you know, as, as I've shipped more and more workout and I've seen how people handle my work, there's, I kind of react to that. And I kind of, I try to make them stronger in certain ways, or I try to make them mm. more durable in certain ways, which I don't know is necessarily the responsibility of the artist, like necessarily. I, mm-hmm. I, but for me, you know, just for like my own, um, level of comfort, knowing that like I've made a really durable piece that can handle some rough handling because for some reason when people handle my work they get they get kind of like I don't know like they they like <laughs> they're like ooh, and they, I don't know they get like maybe too excited or because it's the piece is wider than they expected I've seen people like hold a piece and will start talking and then like you know it gets really close to a wall or <laughs> I don't know it's really <laughs> very strange but um, yeah yeah just knowing how people interact with my work it, it's it's made me kind of like pivot and like make some things stronger, extra coats of resin here and there, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's really cool. For the, like the bigger ones, do you break your pieces apart or do you like, they come as a whole like blob or drip or? Oh yeah, it's one whole piece. There's no, there's really no breaking them apart. Gotcha. Be, that would be interesting to explore, but I think it would look, make the work look very different. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. But it's just I'm just like picturing, you know, when your big blob arrives, you know, somewhere and they like open this big box and it's just inside. It's like a really cool experience, I feel, just unboxing your piece even before they install it anywhere. Yeah. I whenever I do gallery shows, um the gallerists the galleries who get the work on the other end, they're always like, Oh my gosh, it's like Christmas, you know, cause there's so many, yeah. <laughs> there's, I usually, I send a lot of work and then it's like very colorful and bright and like, they're like excited, you know, it's fun. Yeah. Do you have any, um, do you have like a team of people or like assistants or anything that either helps you with like your day to day or helps you in the studio, even helps you with any of the sculptures or anything, or do you outsource to anybody or is it just all you still? Um, the only thing I have help with is packing the work. Um, mm. As far as like the in-studio stuff, I it's for, for now, it's still just me. I've been thinking about getting an assistant because I want to make some larger works mm. um, like in-studio, but otherwise the large installations I've done, ha- I've uh, outsourced to like other people. And so um, having gone through that process and learning like, you know, how much it takes, like time-wise, effort, money, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'd really like to start exploring doing that on my own in studio. And so um, with uh, that, I'm getting a new studio, like I mentioned, and um, you know, once I have that bigger space, then I think that'll be the time to start considering like uh, hiring some, maybe an assistant part-time or something like that to help with stuff like that. But otherwise, you know, I, I enjoy like, I really just love being in the studio. I just love making stuff. And so I haven't really felt the need to hire an assistant for anything as far as making like the regular sculptures. Cause a lot of it, you know, a lot of it's like, like you learn so much while you're making. And I feel like sometimes if I, unless it's like, I'm down to like a time crunch or I'm really, really cutting close, you know, to like being late for a show or something like that. I don't really see it. Um, being like a necessity, you know, right now. Gotcha. Do you have not even um, anybody to like help with communication or anything? Just you just do all the the details too? Yeah. That's awesome. You go girl. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think, I think, you know, maybe one day when I do have an assistant, like, I'll be like, oh, why didn't I have an assistant sooner? But um, <laughs> I think, especially because relatively speaking, like, I, I've only been doing this professionally since 2016. So that's only mm-hmm. been, like, five years? No, four years, right? Four, no, yeah. five years. Well, <laughs> four, four and um, a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm still learning a lot. And especially when some of these larger projects come through, like I'm still learning like how it works and it, like it's so different every time. And there's, you know, while every experience has taught me more and more, like I still find that there's things that I'm learning and um, kind of having, you know, adapting to and figuring out. And um, I feel like if I, I don't know, I feel like I'm not, I'm not exactly at the point where I'm, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's not like I, it's not like a matter of giving up control or anything like that. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not that it's just that like, I feel like I'm still getting a lot out of like being a part of every part of the process that, um, you know, you know, when the time comes, I'll, as long as you feel good about it, I think that's all that matters, you know, but when you start feeling like, you know, your head's underwater a little or whatever, I'm sure Mm -hmm. you'll be able to bring some people on to help out, but it sounds like you got everything under control and everything's good (laughs) as far as that goes. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I think the other thing too, I don't know. And I don't know what this is, but like, I feel like I feel comfortable, especially as the, as time has gone on and I've like booked shows. Cause usually when you book solo shows and stuff like that, you book like at least a year in advance. And Mm so you know, as, as time has gone, like I figured out like my, my kind of like what I need, what amount of time I need to work Mm -hmm. on a show, um, the amount of time I need to like take a break and recharge and Mm re-energize. Um, you know, and I, I've kind of figured all that out time management wise, like what I need. And so it's, it's never become overwhelming because of that. Like when the times it's gotten close to overwhelming, as far as like, you know, how much work I have to do, then I'm like, oh, well, I misjudged that greatly. And I need to kind of readjust how I book my shows or I need to readjust like how many projects I took take on at a time. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think that's been a really important part of it for me of, of uh, like figuring that out. And I think that's why yeah. I still don't like feel like I need an assistant yet. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, that makes sense. Like I said, whatever, you know, works with for you, that's what, what matters. And it sounds like you have a good process um, going right now. I do want to say yeah. um, congrats on having a full feature in the Juxtapose magazine. I know when I was uh, younger and in school, like my background was in graph design and I had switched into painting um, and, you know, going into Barnes and Noble or when I had time to pick up a magazine, it would always be the Juxtapose magazine. Like, man, it'd be really cool to be in a magazine like this, you know, and you see all the cool artists and the artwork. So how did that come about? What was it like to get the full feature? Um, and for anybody who's listening, who's looking to be in a magazine like that, whether it's that one or a different one, um, do you have any advice or tips? Um, so, I mean, that, pro- again, like, that process was so, was <laughs> very organic. Uh, yeah. I, so, awesome. um, the, the Facebook residency I did, the curator, her name is Kristen Farr. She's great. She's amazing. She's also an artist. And cool. she, like, you know, she does a lot of, like, like, a lot of different things. But um, she also writes for Juxtapose. And so, when she and I worked together on the 
Facebook artist in residence for Menlo Park. Um, like maybe a few weeks after that, she hit me up and she was like, hey, I also write for Juxtapose um, and I would like to, would like, you know, like to do an interview with you and like get, get it published. And so, um, you know, that's how it happened. I mean, I think I love that. my, yeah, it's, it's, I really, I feel like it's really, that you've made have taken yeah, you far exactly. That's a big part of it is that like, um, you know, social media gets you so far, but I really feel like the in-person, like the, the real in-person connections that you make is really like what gets it moving even further. I think, um, you know, I, it's, that's why for me, like it's always been a big deal to go out to my shows, to go out to the openings of my shows and meet people. Um, yeah. And I know a lot of times for artists, like, you know, a lot of us are introverts and like, we don't, it's, it can be like very stressful and like anxiety inducing mm-hmm. to like, think about like, okay, I got to do two or three hours of solid talking to people, you know, <laughs> asking about my work and like answering yeah. a lot of the same questions and all this stuff. But um, it's something that like, as I'm preparing for my shows, I like kind of mentally prepare for, and I'm like, you know, it's just a part of it. And I think it's really great because a lot of times you just meet, you just make natural connections and you meet a lot of great people. And I feel like that with a lot of, um, so like a lot of the art happenings too. Like I don't go to art openings all the time, but I think, you know, it's important to go out every once in a while and just kind of see what else is out there, what's going on in your city. Um, and then just connecting with other people that you, you kind of see over and over again, like, oh, hey, that person, I, you know, you connect with them and um yeah that's that's a big that's another part of it that I think is important to do is just like make real like connections with people and so many times people are just so excited and supportive and they're like oh my god I love your work you know and they're always like have such positive (laughs) things to say that it's really not it's really not like a stressful thing to experience because you're just getting like you know real (laughs) Like you're getting like the validation and compliments. Yeah. It should like make you feel good (laughs) and make you energize. No, I totally get it. And that's, that's cool that um, you bring that up because like you said, you know, a lot of creatives are introverts and I always share, you know, for me, like I'm naturally introverted, but if in order to get to where you want to be, and of course you want to connect with your audience of your work, like I call it turning on your extroverted switch and you got to go out there and practice talking to people and just look at it from like you're just connecting with like another human being it's not as scary as you think it is and the more you do it the easier you know it'll get oh absolutely yeah for sure the e- like I remember when I was uh when I was like an undergrad and I would go to my professor's openings and it would be like <laughs> them talking to people constantly and you could you know you tried to get in there to talk to them for a second and be like congrats but you didn't want to interrupt their conversation it's just like that whole yeah like that whole thing. And I remember thinking like, wow, like, are they not stressed out? Like, are they not like nervous? And, um, now I know it's just, you just do it enough and it's like, it's not nerve, you know, there's nothing to be nervous about. Like people, yeah. if you're a show and it's your show, people are there to see your work, you know, and they want to talk mm-hmm. to you because like, they're excited about what they're seeing. And it's like, just that idea in and of itself is so thrilling and like amazing that like, you've made something that you've put out into the world and then people love it so much that they're like, Oh, I'm going to go see it in person. And then I like want to talk to the person who made it. Like, that's amazing. You know, like that's so, I don't know. So cool. No, I love that. Even like hearing the passion behind you, even saying that I feel like anybody who's listening, who feels nervous about showing their work or talking to the people that see their work. Cause I think a lot of it's like people are scared of like the rejection or like what Mm. are people going to say, but it's like, nine times 
times out of 10. Like it's all going to be positive and all going to be exciting and a lot of growth can happen from that. So yeah, I love that you, that you shared that. For sure. And also like, like you said, nine, 9.8 times out of 10, because like no one's going to come up to you and be like, I hate it. Like no one's going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like it's very, that's a very confrontational thing to do. And I feel like most people are not, they're not going somewhere to like, at, at least at an art opening, like they're not coming there to, to tell you like, Hey, I hate your work, you know? <laughs> um, and if they did have negative things to say, like they just save that for the car ride home or whatever, you know, like they don't, yeah. it's not something that you're going to experience like face to face. Exactly. I'm curious to know, um, I saw that you're on TikTok and I love TikTok um, and you show your artwork on TikTok and you have a big, you were able to grow a big following on TikTok. So have you gotten any like deals or opportunities or even collectors from TikTok or has it been solely just like inspiring like the people who are on TikTok um, and just showcasing your work, just another fun platform to display the things that you're creating? So yeah, TikTok is a very interesting new platform, newish right. you know, platform. Um, it is it's so interesting and so different than Instagram. But um, I originally got onto TikTok because I had TikTok reach out to me and they were like, hey, we really wow. we're trying to build like, yeah, we're trying to build our community of creators and we think uh, your work would be a great fit with your process videos and all this stuff. And so I think they were basically trying to get a lot more artists on there and like really mm -hmm. hit that oddly satisfying kind of uh, demographic. Um, and so they reached out to me and they were like, we would like you to create a TikTok account and then post. Um, like, I think we agreed on, what was it, nine videos. Um, and, you know, we had to go through the approval process. I would make the video and then I would show them and then we would, you know, whatever. So it would, it, that was like kind of how I got onto TikTok. And oh, then, wow. um, yeah, I mean, it was cool. And I'm glad, I'm glad I'm, I got on and made an account and like did all that stuff. And um, because it definitely, you know, it's like, uh, I guess it's like, in, when you invest your money, right? You want to diversify your portfolio. So mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm on Instagram, but I know that like a lot of young kids are on TikTok. And I think even if it is just for inspiration or just for them to get like ideas or just for them to see it, I think it's just good to kind of like get your work out there in all the different ways you can. And um, yeah, I've, I mean, I'm not super active on TikTok either. And I know, I kind of know that you have to be like, TikTok's a little bit more engaged in, in mm -hmm. terms of like how much time you have to spend on there, I think. Um, and for me personally, like before Instagram, social media was not like a, a thing really for me. Like I, I was not good at like updating on Facebook and, um, <laughs> you know, like I, I had a Snapchat, but I like never used it. And so it's just right. nothing ever really clicked for me in terms of like or Twitter, like nothing really was ever a good fit until Instagram. And Instagram was just so natural because it's just like, oh, I'm working on this, share, you know? And so right. um, TikTok, while I don't, I really try to limit my social media time because it yeah, can suck up so much time. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's also important to kind of like, you know, hit that new, get your work out there with that new generation or the kids who are on TikTok who aren't on Instagram. Like I think, um, even if it just inspires them to do some DIY or I don't know, you know, try to make something, um, yeah. and they just get some kind of minor enjoyment out of it. Like it's cool, you know? Yeah, no, I, uh, that's really cool that they actually reached out to you. Um, and now like there's not just kids on TikTok, there's all different ages on TikTok, oh, yeah. which is what yeah. I love about it. 
Um, I even have some friends who do uh, have a mural company and they've gotten, you know, some people reach out to have them paint murals um, and they've closed like a couple deals through TikTok, which I found very interesting. So that's why I, I had to ask, like, is it, have you gotten anything from TikTok? Um, yeah, sorry, I missed that. I did not answer that no, part of the okay. question. Um, okay. Yeah, so I have not personally gotten any, like anything really out of, from TikTok. Uh, the only things I get are like, like people who are like, um, will you use our song? <laughs> one of your videos on TikTok gotcha. and we'll pay you That's like funny. X amount. But I haven't, I haven't oh, gotten wow. any like real opportunities, like in terms of showing or um, anything like that through TikTok. No. Gotcha. Well, that, that's really cool. At least like, you know, you still got something out of it for TikTok partnering with you to do that and, yeah. you know, get to inspire people who love what you create. So there's still some, some perks to it. So I love that. How do you think that we as a creative community can annihilate the status quo of the starving artists? This is like a question I pretty much ask all my guests. I haven't really thought about it like that, but I think, I mean, like, you know, we mentioned it in, earlier when you talked about being more transparent um, mm -hmm. with, you know, just, just certain things or just everything, just having more dialogue about stuff. I think that really helps because I think like right now for me, I know a lot of artists who are full-time and I think that's great. And for me, I see like a very bright future for art and artists and kids who want to become artists when they're young. And it's no longer like at least from my perspective, it's no longer like a, like a thing that parents don't want you to do. You know, it's like, yeah. it's very viable. It's very real. Um, and I think that the more we talk about it and get it out there that like, Hey, I am a full-time artist and I'm doing these things and I'm, you know, showing and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that just makes it more reality for people. And the people mm. see that like, that is a career path. That is a, that is realistic. That is like, it's not just a pipe dream. You know, it's like, yeah, someone has a passion and they followed it and they're making it. And I think so like, that's a really, just knowing that, um, I think is important because it gives, it gives people hope, you know, that like, they can do it too. um, and I mean, I don't really know how we can change like the status quo of that, but besides just, just being like, yeah, just having dialogue about it. Um, because, you know, it's not like, I don't really think we should like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really think like artists should become like celebrities or anything like that. You know, like, I don't think it's like another opportunity for that kind of world. Um, but I think that it's such a great, it's such a, like, so I feel, I find that so many people are creative, but at some point in their lives, even whether it be like as a child or it's, you know, like whatever teenager at some point they shifted or they weren't encouraged enough or whatever that like they think of themselves as not creative. But I think mm -hmm. people as humans are naturally creative. We, we make things, we are makers, you know, we like yeah. just look at how we live and like our technology and everything. It's just like, we are curious and we like to make things. And so I think that um, the more that that's fed, the more the idea is fed that like humans, we like anyone is creative and we can be creative and we can explore all those different avenues of creativity um, to make that like known and, and real, uh, I think is, is like maybe another way to do that is 
to just make people know that like you can have something that you really love doing and you can follow it and um you know even if it doesn't make you money necessarily like it can still be a fulfilling part of your life and mm -hmm. maybe that's the other part of it too is like maybe like we don't put so much emphasis on like money maybe and more on the passion of it because i know i know for me personally like if i wasn't where i'm at i would still be making work i would mm -hmm. still be creating even if no one saw it would still be a thing i would do because i love it and i feel very fulfilled from doing it um mm -hmm. i don't know that's a really tough question no, no i think you <laughs> um, answered it really well i mean i think everything you said is is valid and just telling people and sharing people sharing with people that this is what you do and this is a you know a viable means to to make a living um and that people can create for money or you know just for the love of it itself like i think i think that's a great um a great answer for annihilating the status quo absolutely oh, well thank thank you <laughs> yeah. i i do also think it's important i think the other part that's important too is like sometimes like through instagram and i think this happens through all the different you know niches on instagram there are things look so effortless sometimes you know like mm -hmm. it looks so clean and like polished that you don't you don't hear or know that like it is scary sometimes like it is difficult it can be difficult it can be stressful it can be hard and i think that those those things are really important to also share that like you know when i went from from um having like a job to like just kind of winging it with art like that's <laughs> that was a really <laughs> scary time for me and of course like yeah. there are other outside factors like my mom is like are you gonna be okay you know and mm -hmm. like all the like my student loans you know all the things like they're very real like things and um i don't think people talk about that stuff enough that like with with the kind of glitz and glamour i guess of like doing well as an artist like there's also like the hard stuff and i think it's really normal that you go through the hard stuff but no one talks about the hard stuff so you don't you mm -hmm. feel kind of alone sometimes and you're like well am i doing something wrong like am, am i alone in feeling this way um Anyway, I'm no, a little tangent, but no, that's good. I mean, I absolutely agree with that, especially, you know, with social media and even like our future generations, the younger people who, you know, that's where they're primarily on in social media and what they're seeing. And it's like, it's important for people to see that there's this journey, there's this process. It's a roller coaster of ups and downs of what it takes to work for yourself as a creative, as an artist, as an entrepreneur. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's even uh more valid to add that on top of everything you already said do you have any um parting advice or words of wisdom to any of the gangstar listening listeners um, that are listening that um are trying to you know pursue their craft or even the person who is into sculpture and wants to you know take their sculpture and art career to the next level i think for me i think the most important thing is to focus on what you're making and focus on yourself, like in terms mm -hmm. of how you develop, what you develop. I think it's, it's important to like try to be disciplined, um, you know, and like manage your time well and make sure you're like, you have a studio practice or, you know, like you're getting into 
your creative space every day. Um, I think a lot of times, a lot of the questions I get when it comes to social media and being a successful artist and stuff is like, oh, how did you grow your following? Or, um, you know, how did these opportunities come your way? And while, you know, like I said, for me, it was very organic. I think that behind the scenes like it's still like I'm I'm working like most of the time like there's there's mm -hmm. not a weekend for me I am in the studio like most of my time I exercise and I hang out with friends occasionally and then I work but for me it's not work necessarily it's, it's passion and so I think that's really important it's just that like a strong work ethic um and not uh, being too focused on like getting, getting a large Instagram following, you know, because I think mm -hmm. eventually your work will speak for itself. And I think that even if you don't grow a huge audience, you're still going to get your work on the right eyes. You know, you still put your work out mm -hmm. there. And even if it's just like a handful of the right people, you know, who see it, yeah. like, yeah, that's that, that's what I've been looking for, whatever. Do you want the show? Whatever. It's always, um, you just never know. And so I think the bottom line uh, outside of all the the external stuff is just like focus on your work focus on your voice like focus on developing yourself and your art um and I think the other stuff starts to fall into place hmm. I love that everybody listening definitely take notes on that and I, I can at attest to the like the just being consistent and like focusing on what you need to do focusing on your work and like seeing things that, seeing things that will eventually come to you. And I feel like a lot of the guests that I've had on the podcast, that's kind of been like the trend. It's just like they've were consistently working. They were constantly focused on their craft and organically these opportunities came that got them to where they were. So definitely great advice. Um, and thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Uh, with COVID going on, this next question is always kind of like, a question in the air, but it's just like, you know, what's next for you? Can our listeners um, get excited for anything you have coming up or do you use everything kind of on hold? Or are you doing anything um, exciting that they can look forward to? What's going on? Um, so I have uh, a solo show coming up in at the end of August. Uh, hmm. It'll run in, through into September um, with Hashimoto Contemporary in San Francisco. Very um, cool. Yeah, so that's my next like big thing. Um, I did have I was supposed to have another show this summer, but of course it got postponed, you know, because of what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a few other larger things in the works, or maybe like in the beginning stages of planning, maybe. So I don't want to speak on them too soon, and then yeah. not have them work out. <laughs> but because um, you know how sometimes that goes, you're like, I don't want to jinx it or whatever. But you're right. Um, I'm hoping that you know next year. I'm able to get some of these larger uh, sculptures to happen. Awesome. That's, that's great. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and wisdom and advice and pulling back the curtain on your career and business and sharing that with the Gangstar listeners. Really appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and 5 ways to boost your online sales PDF. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. 
Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.